Welcome to Wild and Exposed. Your number one adventure, nature, and outdoor photography podcast. Wild and Exposed is hosted by Michael Morrow, Ron Hayes, and Jason Lopez. Thanks for tuning in. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Wild and Exposed. We've had several minutes of behind-the-scenes conversation that may or may not be shared in a future, uh, what do we call it, gag reel. Hold on. I don't think I would say behind-the-scenes conversation. I would say behind-the-scenes comedy. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever it was, it is going to be on a gag reel at some point in time. This is the episode that we've been waiting for weeks for Michael Morrow to take a break from taunting us with all the images that he's getting in Alaska and come down and talk to us about this uh, new technology. Before we do that, before we get into this uh, technological review that we're going to do on the Canon R5. R5! Yes. I'm excited. Obviously. When I hear about the R5, the waiting. Everybody Jason. wants to know, do we need an R5? Jason. So, well, I want to know what Jason's been up to. Get an R5. Pro tip. Michael Morrow says. Jason, go ahead. I haven't been up to much, to be honest with you. I finally got through the editing most of my summer elk images and um, got all caught up with that. And I've just been working and I did a little bit of playing with the wife and the kid. And uh, now I'm just trying to get ready for, you know, September. It's just right around the corner. I'm pumped. It's my favorite time of year. Um, but, yeah, I'm going a little bit nuts watching you up there in Alaska with all those awesome bears and the moose and as you know as, as mark said we're waiting to hear the the down low on the uh, r5 that you've been playing with too but yeah i'm excited to hear so that sunset picture you shot was that one of your summer elk excursions you put it on the instagram not too long ago yeah yeah that was just incredible boy <laughs> that's one of those mornings i driving up to the top and as soon as you get there just it hit boom and it was just in, I mean, I had just had to stop and just stood there in awe, just like, wow, I can't believe this is happening. Um, and I wish my photography skills could have done it more justice, but it was, it was really impressive. I'll tell you what, one of those awesome mornings and one of those awesome experiences. But yeah, so that was a, a more, I thought it was a sunset the way the mountains look, but that was a sunrise. That's cool. If, if you look, you can see the blue sky in the, to the right of the image in the background, which was I thought it was kind of unique, you know, the, the circumstances were kind of unique with the sun hitting those, the rain clouds, if you will, and lighting them up a different color than the rest of the scenery. And there were some pretty good blues in there. So it was kind of a neat, neat experience, but yeah, that's what I've been up to. Mark, how about you? I'm going stir crazy. <laughs> I can see just, that. Just literally crazy, man. With, <laughs> with, I've, it's been that kind of year <laughs> that, and then as we've all been subject to, Mike is doing what everybody in this profession should be doing right now. And it's awesome to see you getting that stuff, my friend, and hitting it out of the park and, and taking on adventures three, four, six, seven days a week. So, yeah, I just signed myself up for a first trip, big trip coming up in a few weeks, maybe sooner. But, um, yeah, it's not a lot to report. It's mostly been 
editing. I've been writing a bunch of articles and marketing. So it's been office work for the most part this summer, you know, aside from the few podcasts ago when we touched on the Algonquin stuff, that's been a, a great wilderness escape for me. And we, I think since the last time it was brought up, we did another multi-day trip up in there, but, um, yeah, it's, it's a quiet time of year In all honesty, August, there's a, there's animal activity going on, but for my primary markets, it's, it's not a high volume time of year to collect images that will do well. I need color. I need hard antlers. I need more activity, cooler temperatures, fewer bugs, just for those kinds of images that, that cater to what I, what I do. So it's would typically be starting now. I mean, I would already be in Alaska or the Yukon or somewhere in the far north and spending, you know, a few weeks up there and then slowly moving south with autumn to get the various species through the different habitats as as autumn. And I, that's the highlight of my year that I just I'm so honestly so incredibly grateful to to live autumn for, you know, two and a half months that way to film the various species I do. But, yeah, literally this summer has been. Uh, there's no words. I mean, we're all living through incredibly strange times and, and it's been much quieter than normal. And there are, or were trips I was very excited about doing that haven't, are, are not going to happen this year because of the situation, but there are some that are possible. And as you folks know, and as our listeners know, there are places that we and everybody out there can get, get to perhaps it's a matter of doing it safely and smartly and, and so I, there are places that I plan to go that are my typical haunts most years to go and film. So I can't wait. And because I know it's like you just said, Jason, it's just right there. Like we're on the edge. I just, I'm starting to lose all focus. Yeah. I might as well just pack my bags, put them in the hallway and sit on them. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Ron? What have you been up to? I don't want to talk about it really. <laughs> I've been looking at your freaking pictures on Instagram and the ones that you send us all day long, every day. I try to hold back. Teasing. If you're holding back, I really don't want to hear about this. I seriously, I've Which been trying I to am, hold back. I'm afraid you are holding back because I know where you've been. Um, no, I, like Mark just said, I'm, I'm not stir crazy. I'm like, I'm like rut crazed right now. My job has got severe restrictions on travel. And so if I do decide to do something, I can't talk about it. <laughs> if I don't decide to do something, I can't talk about it because it's going to drive me nuts even more. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm definitely over it. Wyoming has very low numbers. Colorado right now has very low numbers. I know everybody out West is wanting to keep it that way, but at the same time, being out in the fresh air and by myself sleeping in the back of my vehicle is not going to get me sick. So I, I would rather be out there before I go mentally ill by being cooped up inside. So anyway, Let's help I, you out a little bit, buddy. So if anybody runs into Ron this fall in the field, no you, pictures. You didn't. You didn't see him. No talking about it. <laughs> you didn't see him. It was some other gray-haired tubby dude. <laughs> <laughs> oh 
So, yeah. And we all know what you've been up to, Mike. But yeah, we're going to hear about it. Yeah. Let's uh oh, one highlight that I do want to hit on and this, you know, by the time this comes out, this is going to be, you know, a week, week and a half old news. But all of the efforts that all of our listeners have put forward that uh, Drew and Aaron and and Michael and everybody that's been working on this project has been putting forward. Uh, we do have a little bit of good news on the Pebble Mine as the permit has been delayed. I saw some people released or put out that it had been denied, but that's not completely the case yet. It's been delayed and it looks good, but keep up the pressure. I I was uh, corresponding with Drew this past week. I got two very different letters from Wyoming, the two Wyoming senators, and uh, one said that they would they would do the best thing for for the environment, and the other one basically defended the uh, report that the Army Corps of Engineers put out, which was heinous to say the least. And uh, so I know which one I'll be voting for this year and which one I won't. That's the good thing about what we do. But I think it's just got delayed just because of this uh, election. Uh, that's my well, gut feeling. I just don't know. I I think Donald Trump Jr. coming out in opposition to the mine kind of threw a kink into things a little bit more than people would have anticipated. That that actually turned a lot of people's heads and and got a lot of people taking a deeper look at it. Um, because the bipartisan opposition of the mine now is kind of at a at a high point. There's a lot of Republicans that are opposed to it, a lot of Democratic opposition. Um, so I think we're in a good place. I hope that you know that is rejected and is vetoed finally forever. But we'll we'll keep it up. And I know you know Drew and Aaron and. And the McNeil River crew will as well. Oh, yeah. They're, they're not going to let up. And I'm actually working on a video right now for Drew to uh, just highlight some of the problems that were wrong with the original report. And then also probably dive into what the next 90 days looks like. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Back to having fun. <laughs> that is that is good news, though. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, Michael, we've all been waiting because, you know, all three of us, Jason, Mark, and myself, are all Nikon shooters, primarily. Oh, yeah. Uh, Jason dabbles with the Sony, and I have shot Canon, but I switched to Nikon, and I, quite honestly, I'm very happy with the still images that I still get out of the D850, um, and the, the image quality, the color, the, uh, you know, everything dynamic range that that camera gives you however i've been doing a lot more video in the field and for our youtube content i'm going to continue to do more video and this r5 just kind of seemed like the ticket uh there's there's lots of questions that i have but let's just get your initial thoughts on the r5 now that you've had it in your hands for what three weeks yeah, it's about three weeks, and I'm glad we're waiting three weeks because it's giving me a, a chance to play with a lot of different things. First thing is I ordered a second one today. So if that tells you anything, 
That's the spoiler. Spoiler alert, everyone. <laughs> well, I'm just. Yeah, we'll talk to you next week. On Wild <laughs> that's the Cole's Notes version of this podcast, and we are out. I'm on my uh, on the internet ordering one. I'm not, but but I might be. So. Yeah, I had to. Uh, I had to buy the kit too because I couldn't get a second body. Uh, it was like three or four weeks out, and you know that's prime time here in Alaska, so. I thought, well, I'll just go ahead and get the the kit, which comes with the 24 to 105 F4, which, so when I got mine, there was a couple of buddies here in Alaska that really wanted one. Ryan Miller wanted one, and so did Ray Minzy, a couple of guys I photographed with a lot. And they could, they, Ryan was on Cannon's list, and who knows, he was looking at like October. And then Ray, he had no clue he wanted one, but I just kept talking about it, and by the time I was done talking, he's like, okay, I'll, I want one. And so I called my buddy in Texas, and they were both able to get one too, but they had to buy the same thing. They had to buy the kit, which comes with that lens, which is an RF lens, which I haven't tried. They both shot with it, and they love it. Um, I don't have any RF lenses. All my lenses are the regular EF lenses, so I'm using the adapters, and it, it's working pretty flawlessly. But in the very beginning, I was like a little turned off, but... I got the camera, and the very next day, I'm going out with Drew to Katmai to shoot bears. And, you know, there's all this hype about this animal eye, auto, animal eye autofocus and all this stuff. And I'm like, oh, this is just going to be like the cat's meow. Well, it didn't work quite as advertised. It just needs a lot of contrast. And you look at a brown bear, there's not a lot of contrast between the eye and the fur. I mean, a lot of times it would pick up the ear. On a moose, it would pick up the velvet antler as opposed to the eye. But again, there's just not a lot of contrast to... Now, I think if you went and shot a doll sheep, filmed a doll sheep with it, there's enough contrast that I think it's going to pick up that eye like that. So I guess it's going to depend on what you're shooting. But I've basically just taken it off the animal eye thing. I don't even mess around with that. But we're also used to shooting the way we shoot. None of us need that. I mean, that's more of a cheat, right? And that's something that I don't even think you really want to mess around with. Unless, like I say, you want to do... If you're going to put up a camera trap, you know... That might be kind of cool. Might be cool to try it, especially if you're doing an animal that is going to have that contrast between the eye and the and the fur. So, in the very beginning, I was a little kind of disappointed because it's not like aver, you know, it's not what was advertised. But they didn't necessarily advertise that. They, you know, there's just a lot of talk out there. So you have to believe. You have to filter out the hype on the internet, and that also speaks to you know everybody's been hearing nothing about nothing but. Oh, the camera heats up, you know, and it shuts off. I have not once had that problem. But we shoot differently than I think a lot of people. So we're not out there shooting an hour-long interview at 4K HQ or at 8K. We're shooting bits and pieces, you know, and I'm, I'll shoot video for a little while, and then I'll switch over and shoot stills. Then I'll go back to video, which that's the cool thing about that camera, right? And then having that drop-in filter on the adapter is pretty sweet you just drop and and the drop in you're using for nd to cut the light for video right right and you Primarily. can switch in and out but the cool thing about alaska is there's so many overcast days that i don't end up having to use nd a lot but i had to use it today i had to switch from the clear to the to the nd and back to the clear and worked out really great it was flawless i mean as far as and then it's a variable nd that that is in that drop-in filter so you can dial in whatever you want very quickly and get the footage that you want to get. So 
Um, that was one of the initial problems was I couldn't even get an adapter. So I'd order the camera and I ordered an adapter when I got it, but there was a run on those adapters. So nobody could get them. The place where I ordered my camera, they said they had like 83 of those adapters on order. And then I was like, oh my gosh, how am I going to do this? But I ended up finagling a way to get a neutral density. But the bad thing about the neutral density adapter is it does not come with a clear, which that kind of blows, you know, because you, you can't, you don't want to shoot stills with any sort of ND. You don't want to just cut any light from a still. So you want to have clear, and then you when you shoot video, you want to throw in the ND. And you do lose a little bit of time switching that in and out. My workaround for that was is I called up Lens Rentals, and I rented a clear filter, a drop-in. They had those in stock at Lens Rentals. So that's how I got around that. And then eventually my clear ended up showing up. So... But you know how Lens Rentals has that whole thing where you it's a, called a keeper price? I went ahead yeah. and just bought, I just, rather than sending these things back, I just bought them. Because I, I got a regular adapter and a clear filter, and then I had the neutral density adapter. So now I have the three adapters. One that's just straight up just an adapter just to get go with EF lenses, and then one that has the drop-ins. So Lens Rentals, Lens Rentals, Rentals. Lens Rentals. Lens yeah, that lensrentals.com is going to be out of adapters as well then after you drop that little tidbit. Yeah, I was like bummed that I didn't think about that for like three or four days. And I was like, oh, I should have done that right when, right when it happened. But it ended up working and I ended up having everything. And I've got now I have an extra adapter for when that other camera shows up. So go ahead, Mark. I have a question. So you're talking about the adapter between the lens and the camera body and right. it has a different element in each one. So somebody who is historically very careful about getting dust on a sensor that has a mirror in the camera, albeit, I very rarely take my cameras off the lenses. So if you're having to do that a handful of times through a day or even a couple of times to compensate for the light from video to stills, being a mirrorless camera, any concerns about that? Oh, yeah. I'm a, I'm really worried about that. That's partly why I bought a second body because I'm just – Okay. Now I don't even want to go – I don't even want to use my 1DX Mark II. It's like it's like I don't even want to pick that camera up. I, in fact, it's just sitting over here on a shelf Sorry, now. Because the R5 is that good. Is that good. It is oh, that good. Oh. As far as the stills go, I mean, you're, you're talking a 45-megapixel sensor. So you got – I think it's 45. Yeah, yeah, but we've all three had that for years now, right? Yeah, but the dynamic range and just the sharp. And, you know, one of the downsides always has been, you know, I've shot Sony too, right? And you can buy the Sony adapter, which you can put a Canon lens on a Sony camera. But when you try to use that autofocus, it works, but it's not very fast. And that was one of my concerns about this R5. They're like, oh, yeah, are you going to be able to put an EOS EF mount lens on this R5 and you're going to have the speed of the autofocus? And I was, you know, I've just had enough experience with other adapters and other cameras that I'm like, eh, I hope it works. Being all Canon throughout, I was hoping that it was going to work, and it does. It's super fast and super dead on. So that's got to be a relief after all these years of working manual video to now have autofocus video. It's the game deal. changer. It's a yeah, big deal. Yeah. yeah, it's a, you know, you, I don't even, I, I don't even want to take the red out. I have the red here. And I don't even want to take it out. Mostly because, well, two things. One is it's freaking heavy. So if I want to shoot stills and video, um, my pack is pushing, well, it's over 50 pounds. 
because the batteries just on the red the batteries are as big as this r5 body and then also you know you're trying to take two different systems out and it just ends up being a lot of weight the i don't know the the stills is a game changer but the autofocus on video is is huge it's amazing let's let's talk i mean mark do you feel like that question was well let me let me finish that so what i did today was with those drop-ins because right now i only have one camera one adapter and if i want to go between stills and video when it's sunny which it was this morning it's the first time that it's been that way since i've got had this camera it's been pretty overcast and rainy which is perfect conditions for us for shooting with even light right so we had some sun this morning i had a big moose a great big moose walking across the river imagine that <laughs> sprinkling fairy dust with every step <laughs> yeah he was so i'm like ah the sun's out and i knew he was gonna walk across the river so i'm getting it already what i do mark is i take so it comes in a little filter tray holder the clip the let's see i had the neutral density in the filter tray the the little case that it comes in and then i have my clear filter in the camera so I open up the case and then I carry one of those rocket blowers with me. And on a neutral density filter, you can see all the dust pretty much. You just see little white specks. And you know that if you're in a hurry and you're just slamming it in there, you're just introducing all that dust. So before I put that filter into that, that holder, the adapter, I blow it off on both sides and just make sure all the dust is gone. Then I click it in there and then I put the clear back in that case and then shut it down. And it... It's a little harder to see on the clear, but I've just gotten into the habit of every time that I do that, I blow it off. But I have not taken that adapter off of yet. So that camera sensor has not been exposed directly to the air. Oh, I take that back. I did do it once. I put on a, a wide angle the other day. But I had the filter in there. So the, the filter is in front of the sensor. So as long as that filter was in there, I felt like I'm not introducing anything to the actual sensor within the camera it's just hitting that filter. And then when you pull that little tray out, you just have a little slot that may be two inches by three eighths of an inch that that tray fits in. So I guess if you're in a dust storm or something like that, you could have the potential of dust, but I, um, I'm really careful about that. You just don't want to have dust. It's just that much more work when you're processing the images, right? But we all shoot at such a low, well, for the most part, I think most of us shoot at five, six, sometimes eight, but five, six, four or whatever. And a lot of that dust doesn't show up when you shoot that low. So um, that's how I've been dealing with it. But the whole reason I won't got a second body was because I just want to have a wide angle on one and a telephoto on the other. And that way I can just go back and forth and not worry about it. And they're light enough that you can do that. Pretty light. And the, and the batteries are pretty amazing. I did get the, the battery grip. So it's running two batteries and I've, I can't shoot all day. I probably could do all day on those batteries. I couldn't do two days, but the way I've been shooting is I'll shoot early morning. Then I might shoot late evening and I can usually make it two days with two batteries. And that's with stills and video. Yeah. But I've just been starting to shoot a lot of video here in the last probably three or four days. So I'll, I'll continue to report on it. The one thing with the video there's so many things about this camera, the menu system. Let's, let's hold on on the video though. Cause I want to, I want to focus on the stills because this, the, the large sensor 
the 45 megapixel sensor is new to Canon. And Canon's always been kind of lagging behind a little bit, especially to Nikon on uh, dynamic range and color reproduction, you know, in their image quality. That's where Nikon's kind of held the edge. But from what I'm seeing and hearing from a lot of people, that has definitely become more of an even playing field. What have you found with the stills after not not just the raw images, but what when you're uh, doing your post processing? Have you found that to be true that your dynamic range is more than you've seen in a Canon? Oh, for sure. There's a lot more dynamic range and and just the clarity on these images. I mean, it's just the image stabilization that's in there because I'm shooting the 200 to 400 f4 handheld a lot. And I, the other day I caught myself shooting at one sixtieth of a second handheld in the cloudy, you know, it's like, hmm, if an animal moves, you know, it has the potential to be blurry. If the animal's not moving and I'm just handholding, I have the potential to make it blurry, right? <clears throat> but that image stabilization that's in there, I would say 80% of them are sharp. And you've got, so you've got three stops in your lens if you have it turned on in the lens, right? vibration reduction or, or stabilization right. in that 200 to 400 and then five stops if i'm not mistaken in the body i think so i don't remember exactly uh, but yeah there's a the ibis and i think that's all different with different lenses so every lens is going to give you a different amount of stops that you have to play with but right. i think anytime you're dealing with a big piece of glass the canon l series glass you're going to have the maximum available on those. And it's, it's, I haven't tried out. I was getting, my buddy up here has a, the brand new 600. What is it? Version three. L three. Yep. And I was going to try that with the one four and just this camera body. And I was going to go shoot float planes handheld and just see what I could do just cause it's a constant thing. These planes are coming in all the time. And I thought that would be a good test of something that's moving, coming at me, you know, bang off, 12 right away and just see how many of those are sharp i did it when i first got here with my 1dx and i it it worked out pretty good with that so i know it, since that worked out with this r5 it ought to be you've got a direct comparison though yeah that image stabilization is pretty cool when you have a lens on the camera body that actually has a switch for the image stabilization if you turn it off on the lens, it automatically turns it off in the camera too. So and oh, that's, really? I like that for video because I don't use image stabilization for video at all. I'll turn it off. If I'm on a tripod and I'm doing everything just right and have a good tripod head, you don't want image stabilization anyways. If you're doing a nice pan, sometimes that image stabilization will try to correct your pan. So then you get a jitter. For what we do this camera and this system is the bomb. I think for a lot of the other applications where, you know, these guys are vlogging and that sort of thing, um, image stabilization, they want it in the video because so many of them are just hand-holding it. Go ahead, Mark, what do you got? Well, I was just thinking that. I mean, the whole, one of the primary interests of this this new technology is the opportunity to handhold video. So what that's one of the things I'm most excited about. And... I'm sorry to say this to our listeners because it'll be a week or two before this podcast airs and tomorrow morning I'm going to be looking for this equipment so I'm going to have a bit of a jump but the the lens that's coming out the 1 to 500 that goes to 71 to me because that is so small looking and this R5 that seems like the magic combo 
for the type of wildlife photography that we do most often requires a telephoto zoom where we can do the stills and video. So in a situation like that, as you were just describing with other vloggers, for instance, it would make sense to have everything on stabilization because you're not based on a tripod and hopefully it pulls it off. And have you played with that? Have you done any handheld video? I did. I shot some. What did I shoot? I shot some the other day. I don't even remember what I was shooting because I didn't have my tripod with me, but it was better video than it was stills. And to be honest with you, I haven't went back and looked at it. But looking at the viewfinder when I'm shooting it, it was pretty good. It's going to be usable if you're editing in small chunks. If you're trying to put sure. up a 20 or 30 second clip, I don't think it's going to work. If you're throwing really? up a little five second clip, I don't know, but I'm I'm even with this small lens, so that's the hope. It's with, with the, the small, small lens, you're going to be fine. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. with There's the small lens, you'll be fine. Like if you just want to vlog and to you hear. want to turn around behind, you know, just put it on a little, hold it out like we would a GoPro, and then just flip the screen around. Then I think you're going to be pretty good. Well, not just that, but actual high quality wildlife video. If we're there and something's happening and it's a good action situation to film video, change the settings on the camera, handheld, and capture that video. And I'm, I'm really hoping that it'll pull it off and, and, and look fantastic. I mean, we can do it with the action cameras. I mean, there's no telephoto, but it's amazing when we walk with those and hold them to vlog how smooth it looks. And we're just walking across uneven ground. I'm not expecting to be able to walk with this new tech mirrorless technology and video but if we're stationary i'm hoping it'll pull it off because that would just be another game changer for the opportunity for youtube content or for commercial video content yeah to I'm a certain degree it's going to work but i think uh i think you're anytime you're using big glass you're going to want a tripod you know if you're three or four hundred or above you're uh, hand holding that stuff I mean, a lot of it is just, that's a lot of weight okay. to be holding out in front of you. And it's just, sure. I mean, it'll work. And like I say, in little short bits, it's going to be fine. But well, if we're, you're trying to roll a 20, 30 second clip, it's, I don't think it's going to be as good. But let me try it a little bit more. I'll try it tomorrow and just see. But I don't have a, I have the 200 to 400, which is a heavy, mm -hmm. you know, I like I said the other day, it's I was challenge. using a 600 version 3 with my 2 to 4. I had, we had R5s on both of them. That 600 is way lighter than the 2 to 400. Yeah. That new lens technology is just so light that um, maybe you could pull it off with, with a lighter lens. Well, so we carry a tripod this fall and try both, right? Yeah, yeah. Yep. That's what I'll do. Yeah, I'll just, do that over the next yeah. couple of weeks yeah. and try it out. You know, I'm always cheating, though. And I've shot video for so long, and I've had to edit so much video that I'm just persnickety when it comes to I just want really good quality stuff so if I'm going out and I don't even have a tripod I'm gonna lay my backpack down and use that as a some sort of you know stabilization I'm always gonna look for something I'm never gonna handhold it unless I absolutely if, if that's the only thing I'll do it but if there's a way where I can get down on one knee and use my knee use my other leg as a stabilizer or anything at all I'm gonna always do that the cool thing too well, what else did you have, Ron? Because if we get into the menu system, I started to go there. But well, that's the the one question that I was going to ask on stills. Have you shot at high speed? Um, the silent mode, twenty two frames a second, and how's the focus hold up? 
I haven't. I haven't figured out how to even get it on that one. I just shot the, the 12 frames Speaking, a second. That's a good segue into the menus. I haven't <laughs> figured that out yet. I haven't. I uh, I don't even know how to do that. I So it has high and high plus. And I thought originally, I thought that high plus was going to be the 20, 20 frames a second or whatever it is. But it wasn't. That just gives you 12 frames a second. Which... I'm so used to shooting 12 frames a second. That's what the 1DX did. I'm pretty good with that. But it would be cool. I'll have to figure it out. I just felt like, you know, when you're shooting big game, like moose and bears and stuff, you really don't need don't, don't need it that yeah. faster stuff. So I haven't had a reason. If I'm going to go out and shoot ducks or birds, I think at that point you might want to try it out. I think all you have to do is switch to live mode, to be honest, from what I've heard and seen. Once you're in, once you're in live view, it's 22 frames. So on the 1DX Mark II, I don't have the 1DX Mark III, but the 1DX Mark II, if you went from stills to video, your same settings that you were just shooting stills on are set up as the video, which then you don't want to shoot that. You don't want to shoot right. a high shutter speed for video. Gotta this camera, adjust. when you go between one and the other, you can it holds the settings for the last thing you were just doing. That's so, awesome. yeah. So you get your video settings when you get your, when you switch over, I think on the one DX, I'm just bad about that. I pick up any camera and I just start using it. I'm not this techie guy that just gets in and starts figuring out. I know guys that have done the custom button thing where they'll make the adjustments. It took me, it took me like three days to figure out how to, you know, and I, and now that I've done this, I think maybe my 1DX will do it, but I never thought about doing it on the 1DX. But you know how I was always talking about on the Sony, the thing I liked about it is you could constantly move that focus point. You never had to mm -hmm. activate the focus point, then go move it. On my 1DX, that's what you have to do. You have to activate the focus sensor or focus points. Then you can go move it. But the minute you take a picture, you can't move that sensor, that focus point around anymore. This camera, I was told, you you can move it without having to activate that sensor but i couldn't figure out how to do it and it's buried in the menu and um it took me three days and and jerry you guys know jerry from the podcast ak scenic on instagram he got one too and uh he got his switch and he couldn't remember how he did it so we actually were sitting on a river waiting for a bear one day and I'm like, how did you do that? And he's like, I can't remember. But we just sat there for like a half an hour, and finally we figured it out. But super simple once you do it. Um, but you can, on this camera, just move the focus point. At as long time. as you only have to do it once, is that what you're saying? Right. So you don't have to remember? <laughs> right. Now I'll, now I'll freak. Well, now I'll remember. As long as I have these cameras, I'll remember how to do it. But it's edge to edge, and you can put that point wherever you want. Now, on video, and I'm sure there's different settings, and I just haven't messed around with it enough, but shooting stills, I never use the, the screen on the back, right? You just got it up to your eye, and you're just shooting like we always shoot. When I go to video, this is another, this kind of speaks to handheld video too, Mark. So, like I said, the animal eye autofocus, I'm not happy with with some of these animals it just i've tried it and it just won't pick it up if it's on a moose it's going to pick up especially on a velvet moose it was hitting the end of the antler and it would see a little round thing on you know one of the little points that's still kind of rounded and it would pick that up immediately and it would just start make that your focus point on uh 
on bears, it would do the same thing on the ear. It would find that ear and it would lock on that. So I've shut that off. But then what that means is when I'm shooting video and I'm on a tripod, I take the, the screen, the screen on this camera, I don't think Canon's done it before. Canon has never really had a screen that moves, right? So I think this is the first, at least that's what I think I've heard. So, and they do that more for weatherproofing, I think, was the big thing. I think the 90D did. Yeah, there might have been some of the Pro-Am cameras. Pro-Sumer, pro Pro-Sumer yep. cameras that did it, but none of the Pro bodies ever did that. But this one, what I do is I, on a tripod, not looking through the viewfinder, flip the screen out, and then what I can do, and you got to be gentle about it because you don't want to shake your whole camera, but you have that screen open, and then you can just tap the screen wherever you want to be in focus. So, and then there are some other modes, autofocus modes, where you can select like a tracking mode, which isn't necessarily animal eye, but it will track with an animal. So a lot of times you can just set that up and then you can pan with an animal and it's going to keep that, whatever you originally selected, it's going to keep that as you're panning. So you're not constantly having to move that, move that focus point around. But today with that moose walking across the river, I just tapped on his, his head and then I just panned from left to right across the river with him, and it was dead, dead on. I mean, it's amazing how dead on it was. Just kept with it the whole way. Jason, I know you've got questions from somebody else. If if they're not, I know you have questions of your own, but I know you were kind of tasked with getting some information on this camera. Also, what do you have? Yeah, Harden's been dying to hear how what Mike thinks about <laughs> what Mike thinks about this camera. But um, you know, one of the big questions he had that he was asking so for some feedback on was the the high ISO performance. You know, the noise performance and that. Um, the some of the claims they've made on it are pretty pretty you know pretty good, and some of the information I've seen so far shows that it can perform pretty well even with that high megapixel sensor, which is kind of unusual for a higher megapixel camera. Um, but yeah, that they just love, I don't know if you've been playing around with that much, but what, what are your thoughts? The highest I've gone is 32 and we were shooting black bears on, you know, kind of a little river that had deep sides and that was overcast. So you can imagine it's just a dark bear and it's a dark setting overcast. And I ran it up to 3,200 and it's pretty darn good. I can see a little bit of noise in the stills. But nothing that detracts from my personal liking. And then, you know, we all talk about Topaz enough that I think even if what little is there, if you wanted to, you could run it through there. I don't have Topaz, so I don't even know what it'll do. But um, from everything I've heard from everybody else that uses that, I think you guys would be like, oh, this is perfect. But I've run it to 32. I think in the Sony world, when we're doing a lot of commercial stuff, we'll run it up to 5,000, no problem, for video. And it looks just fine. But you got to remember that a lot of this stuff isn't going to BBC at 4K. It's going to YouTube at 2K. And, you know, yeah. a lot of that stuff, you don't, you're never going to notice it that small anyway. So I'm pretty comfortable up to 32. And I'm regularly, you know, especially when I'm down shooting those black bears, it's uh, 12, 12, what is it, 1250 or 1280 ISO or. 1600 ISO and then again I did run it all the way up to 32 and it was fine it was awesome and I was just going for shutter speed you know I was just trying to get the shutter speed to stop these these bears are it was so cool we were these humpies 
or pinks salmon are running up the river and these black bears they're so in tune with it that they will only hunt the females so they'll walk through this this river is just like you could walk across the river on fish there's so many fish they'll walk through the river and it's no big deal for them to catch it it's not like some of the footage you see of a of a brown bear chasing down salmon this is like you just like hunting and hunting and pecking kind of thing and they're walking through there and they will just go pick up a female and they'll take it over to the bank and they'll squish out all the eggs eat all the eggs and go get another one so i was uh, trying to document all that behavior in this dark area and not you didn't have to have too fast of a shutter speed just because they're not running and gunning they're just kind of hunting did they they weren't even eating the belly fat huh no the ones that i watched that night this particular bear I sure. have seen some other footage that AK Scenic shot that where they were actually eating the fish too. Mm-hmm. But that one bear was just like all eggs all the time. That's all it wanted. Wow. That's cool. Yeah. So um all right. the weatherproofness of the camera is I'm just such a chicken, you know, I'm just like I just spent whatever, thirty five hundred dollars on this camera, I'm not gonna let it get wet. Cause I don't know. Right. And I don't want to be without a camera, but then Jerry's out there and his camera's just getting soaked and Ray's out there and his camera's getting soaked. So I'm letting those guys be the guinea pig and not saying anything. I'm just kind of sitting back observing. And then I have a little, I don't know, storm cover or whatever they call it. It's just a little nylon cover. So I've been using mine with that and I try not to let it get wet at all. But it seems to be good. Those guys, I've seen their cameras pretty darn wet, and they're they're fine. What's weird, though, is the microphone is on the very top, and it's got four holes. So you would think water is going to get introduced into the camera right there for sure, but they must have some sort of weather seal underneath it or something. Um, but I've been pretty pretty amazed by seeing their cameras go through the, the ringer um, and no problems at all. Jerry was just like, um, he's just all in and it was fine. Mark, what did you call that device that Michael was using on, uh, on that camera? What was it? Umbrella? Oh yes. Yeah. Well it was, yeah. A full, <laughs> a full size umbrella. It was our Instagram story. One of our Instagram stories a, a day or two ago about how on our podcast, we talk about gear so frequently and it was clearly raining and, <laughs> Michael had it figured out. Well, Michael always takes the umbrella for video so he can block wind. But I, I you know, testing the uh, weather sealing of the camera under the umbrella, it's probably not as effective a test as what Jerry and right. what they were doing. Well, and right? if you guys could see underneath that umbrella, I had the camera cover on the camera plus the umbrella. But really, <laughs> it was poor. I was the only one out there that day. It was pouring. But I had that big bull that monster bull right in front of me. Right. So I'm like, I cannot leave. And I sat out there shedding for like velvet. six hours shedding velvet. There you go. And this bull, 48 hour window, this bull loves to just lay down and he'll lay there for two or three hours. So you just got to wait him out. You know, you just got to wait till he's up and going. And I sat there for six hours and I watched that ring cover on my camera, that nylon ring cover, just get almost like, totally wet and i'm like is this camera getting wet so then i pull out the umbrella and then i get tired of holding it so then i just rested it on the camera and then i'm sitting underneath the tripod because i'm getting soaked too i was like 
it was one of those typical Alaskan days where you just like nonsense. But I didn't want to leave. I just couldn't leave that bull just because he was so cool looking. And I prefer to get those really dramatic shots if you can, right? If you can get water dripping off the antlers or that kind of totally dynamic stuff, it's going to be better. But he won that game. I gave up after six hours, and he just was like, he was fine. He did get up and move, but he only moved maybe 20, 30 minutes and then laid down again. So, But I'd say for weatherproof, it's it's. I think it's going to be all right. I think it's you got to kind of baby it, but, well, I don't know if you got to baby it. I'm going to baby it. I'm going to do everything I can. And I do take an umbrella, and I do have that camera cover, so I will use that. It, it hampers some of the stuff, though. I mean, especially, like, the cool thing about having a tripod, though, is you can put that camera on the tripod with the two to four. You can put the camera cover on it, and then you can flip that little screen out. So you get pretty, you know, you, you can articulate that screen in such a way that you can still keep it covered and out of the rain, but you can still move and make sure all your settings are just right. So it's pretty awesome. cool. The so, other thing I had, oh, go ahead. I just wrote well, down a list of stuff. Yeah, we've we've kind of talked about still, so let's move in to I I think probably what we're all wondering a little bit more about is the video. And you've heard so many people talk about the positives and negatives, but I think the the vast majority of the people that you hear about the negatives of the video and the overheating and that, and I, you know, to be fair, I think Canon's addressed a little bit of that in firmware already. And I think there's probably more to come, but you look at wedding photographers that are talking about, they're not going to be able to use it for a full service, that kind of thing, which they wouldn't given those time constraints and vloggers, uh, like long format vloggers. And then there's been a couple of people that have taken it on a, on a set and, um, and, and worked with it kind of on a movie set type of atmosphere just to try to test it out. And they've run into the overheating issues, but not as, you know, not as prevalent because they're doing more like what we're doing with the shorter clips, shorter scenes. You said you haven't had this overheat at all. No, but, you know, I've watched plenty of videos since I've had it. You know, if I'm, if I'm working out, if it's raining outside and I can't go ride my bike, I'll just work out inside and I'll watch a YouTube video while I'm doing it. And it's always the R5 stuff just because I'm trying to get as much information as I can. And it's exactly right. A lot of people are just saying, well, I can't run it for 30 minutes. Well, or the camera's building up heat just even if it's on. Even if you're not recording, that camera's building up heat. So I don't know if all that's true and I don't know if it's hype. But hearing that, what I do is if I'm not shooting, I just turn the camera off. Because if it is going to build up heat, then I'm just not going to let it. I'm going to shut it off. So if I'm waiting out a bull that's laying down and I know I'm going to be there for an hour, I just make sure I shut the camera off. So that's if that is an issue, I'm, I'm circumventing that. And then with the way we shoot stuff, I have not shot anything in 8K yet. I just don't see a reason for it. I mean, I do see how it would be beneficial, especially if you're shooting an interview and you want to go from a wide to a tight all in one shot. That makes sense to me. And, and But we're not going to do that with wildlife. I don't think I need an 8K. Uh, 4K is fine right now. So I haven't even played with the... I haven't even set the camera on 8K yet. I'm shooting 4K HQ, which is the 4K quality, uh, high quality. And I think what that's doing is using the full 8K sensor and it's just downsampling it to 4K. 
everything I've seen on YouTube, they say that the 4K standard is softer than the 4K HQ. And you have to enable that in the camera. So you have to set it at 4K and then there's another menu item that says enable 4K HQ. And I've shot everything in 4K HQ. And that was, they were talking, that was kind of had the same heat constraints as the 8K or close to, and you haven't run into any problems with that at all. No, and I don't know when I would know if there's a problem other than you see the little temperature thing and then it just shuts it down, right? So I have not had that. But again, I'm, I'm switching it up and, you know, there's just certain situations when you're shooting certain stuff where it's like, this is the perfect still. And then like trying to shoot uh, animal and velvet shape raking off the velvet there's certain shots that work as a steel right if he comes out and he's got branches hanging all over the antlers or something that's a great steel but when they're just sitting there raking stills don't do that justice so you want to be shooting video at that point so i'm trying to really pick and choose my times of what i'm shooting when so it's never consistently all video and it's never consistently all stills i'm just but again, that's all an even light where you're not fiddling around with changing filters because if I'm having to change filters, I'm going to stick with whatever I'm shooting for a while just because I don't want to go through the, the possibility of introducing dust or the possibility of missing something. So the cool thing, like I say in Alaska, is a lot of times if it's cloudy, it's cloudy and it's going to be cloudy all day. So that gives you the opportunity just to keep that clear filter in there and just get the settings that you need to get. So the only difference between stills and videos on video i'm usually running the iso way down to like 100 or 200 and then when i go to stills i'll run it up to 800 just so i can get my shutter speed so i've not had a problem one now if we were going to do a little vlog out in the woods you know if all the four of us get together and we want to do a little five or ten minute interview i wouldn't i would think the camera would be fine for that and that's the other thing too i'm also Ever since I've been here in Alaska, I, there's never, well, there's maybe one one or two days where it got in the 70s, but that's in town. If I'm up shooting, uh, well, when bears or, or moose or whatever, the temperature is probably 10 degrees cooler up there too. So you're dealing with a lot lower ambient temperature. So I think that's going to play into it a little bit too, right? You're going to get a little bit more time. For sure. I'm hoping. You know, it's just all trial and error. And like I said earlier, at the very beginning, I'm glad we didn't do this podcast two days after I got the camera. Waiting three weeks and having a chance to play around with a little bit of everything. I wish I would have known three weeks ago what I know now. The other thing I did yesterday on the video side of things, I was out shooting with Ryan Miller. And um, he's starting to do a lot of video. And he's like, have you messed around with C-Log? And I'm like, nope. I haven't even messed around with it in the menu. So right then I'm like, hmm, maybe I should try it. So I think it was just yesterday or maybe it was the day before. I switched it to C-Log, which is Canon's raw, um, kind of like uh, more information in the image, right? But it looks horrible. It looks like you're shooting the most awful video possible. And it just it's all washed out and there's just no detail, but all that information is there. If you know what you're doing when you come into Premiere, then you can set all your color set, or you can go into your color settings and you can pull all the information out of that image. And you can really fine tune it. You can fine tune just the color. You can fine tune just the shadows. You can do it. And I am not a 100% proficient in that, but I should put up a clip. What I'll do is on our YouTube page, I'll put up 
the same clip, one is C-Log and one is what I did to color correct it. And that, like I said, I haven't perfected it yet. That shot that I sent you guys, just mm -hmm. that, that where I was trying to do the 4K stuff, um, that was all colored. And it looks super awesome on my screen, but then when I export it, it doesn't look so awesome. So I'm still playing with it to try to figure it out. But the C-Log, I think, is the way to do it. The one thing that does have built in there, I forget what they call it, visual assistance or something like that. So you can set it at C-Log, shoot it in that really drab, washed out, ugly looking stuff. But if you turn that visual assistance on it, it basically will apply a LUT. You know, a LUT is like a lookup table, a color lookup table. So it'll apply, it's not recording this LUT, but it's giving that LUT the view on the viewfinder. So you actually see what the potential is with that shot, but you're still recording this really drab, you know, washed out video that has actually got more information in it than if you actually were shooting it with full on color. So it's kind of like looking at a still on the back of your camera. You're not necessarily seeing the raw image. You're seeing the JPEG that the camera puts together as a preview, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Same thing with the Yep. Same thing with the video. So I would say if you get an R5, just set it up in that C log and just go from just always shoot on C log and then you'll get proficient with the color. There's so many YouTube tutorials out there to kind of figure out, and nobody's right or wrong. It's all pref you know, personal preference, but you can slowly figure out, oh, this is how I get this color to pop, or this is how I get these shadows, or this is how I take down the highlights. Or It's basically the same as doing anything in Photoshop or Lightroom. It's not quite as good and quite as evident as you see in a still, but it pretty much does the same thing. So Mr. Raycroft, Long time Nikon shooter. What are you thinking? Yeah, somewhere between three and 30 years. <laughs> what oh, do you think? I, you know what? This, uh, I'm there. I, you know, it's a question for me. I, the, the trips I have coming up, I don't know if I can get my hands on one soon enough to, for it to be applied to those trips but I, i'd also i don't have any canon equipment so i would want to pick up that new lens right and it's it's i looked it up today and the release date on that one said uh, the two that i found two different sites one said september 11th release date the other said september 30th and of course there's a queue of people who have probably put down payments or deposits sorry that that i haven't so it's i'd have to find you know a, a retailer that i've worked with long enough to to help me get one perhaps so the timing's very tight you know it's it's one of these things where we have to jump in or not because nikon i i likes the, the lens technology that nikon currently has for mirrorless and with the rumors of what nikon might be doing next year am i willing to wait a year honestly not necessarily it's all about gear facilitating what we do i don't want i don't upgrade gear very often it has to be warranted but the game changer here is the nikon d850 on the two to 500 that combination has been my go-to for well since it was as three years it's been out i think and for still photos i i still it's phenomenal i have no issues with it but more and more i have this interest in collecting video and i have the action cameras and other to tell stories but 
it's such a rigorous setup to change things around, to have the tripod, which I'll still carry for this new technology to try it first. I love the fact that Michael says the camera remembers you're still in video settings, that you don't have to spend, you know, 30 seconds or a minute switching and, and, and setting it up. You just switch the video and you're good to go. That's very cool. So I, the short answer is if I can get one in my hands with, with that lens this fall, I see myself buying it, yes. But... I'll keep you posted on it. It's a matter of timing. It's a limited opportunities for what I have currently planned, unless more travel options open. You know, I have I have a couple of significant things planned this fall, and I'd like to put it in play. But yeah, Nikon, it's not, there's nothing, we know something will be coming, but it's not going to be this year. And this technology, yeah, I, I do it. I'm So I, yeah, honestly, I'll be researching tomorrow when stores open about where I can find one and if somebody can promise me if I give them however much money they want toward it, the, the combination before the elk, moose, and bighorn rut starts. I don't I don't know that you get asking. it before the elk rut because it's what, tomorrow? Yeah. <laughs> well, you're not no, asking. I mean, I, I'm, it's within three weeks. Within three weeks if I, but I don't, it's the thing is that lens is coming out right then. Supposedly, if everything yeah. goes smooth. I think what you're saying is spot on. I don't think even if you, even if you just said, yeah, I'm going to get it, you're not going to get it because it's like you said, the cues out there and I don't know, you know, unless you are high on somebody's list or have a buddy, I think it's going to be super hard to get. But here's the workaround. The Canon 100 to 400, the EOS 100 to 400, mm -hmm. I... I've done two bear trips with Drew. The first one I went out there and I took my two to four. And the second one, I wanted to take the red. So I couldn't fit the two to four and the red. So I took the red and I was like, okay, I'm just going to shoot the 100 to 400 on the R5 and we'll just, it's a crapshoot. I'm not sure if it's going to work or not. It was awesome. It's the not the two to five. It's a great lens, yeah. You're going to lose the five, right? you're not going to have a 500 millimeter. You're just going to have 100 to 400, but for big game, a lot of times 100 to 500, 100 to 400 is plenty. Most right. situations. So you, that could be your workaround where if you could get your hands on a camera, you could get an adapter and then also get a 100 to 400 and you're not sacrificing focus speed or anything that an adapter would in the old days introduce. And you're not going to have any of that. What's the price point on that roughly compared to the, about uh, sixteen hundred now you can buy it. Oh, okay. So, well, it's it, not but, terrible, and and that's probably you know like uh, lens authority price, but it still has warranty. They inspect the glass and everything, so uh, I think that's a great buy. Would, but I'd still think there'd be an advantage to the new glass and technology when it does come out to put hands on one. Wouldn't wouldn't you do that two months down the road if if you I just had a chance to talk to a Canon rep uh, this week and ask him, you know, because one of the big questions that I have is why seven one, if you can do, if Nikon can do five, six all the way through on the 200 to 500 and Canon can do four five to five, six on their 100 to 400, why in the world is it going all the way to seven one? And he said, well, first of all, don't knock, the RF glass until you've tried it because it is a totally different animal. He said that the glass that they're coming out with is phenomenal. And he said just on the last 
like 20 millimeters. So when you're shooting at 480, you're still at 6.3. It's just from 480 to 500 is where it hits 7.1 on the, you know, the minimum aperture. And it's probably so, half the size of those two other lenses. I think that's why it's smaller, yeah, right? Yeah, so the exactly. Kit, the mobility. Exactly. So I'm I'm in. I don't I have no issues with seven one at that. But that's that's cool that it doesn't hit seven one until almost at maximum zoom. So that's what I would do. And you know, Jason and I have had this conversation where I just don't like seven one. I just don't get the I just don't get the bokeh that you want especially if you're used to shooting f4 right you know the separation at 10 feet of something a big game animal and trees or rocks or whatever is significant at f4 when you're at 7 mm-hmm. 1 it's like ah, it's not that much separation going on so that's my big thing so what i would do skyline if, the animal <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> dart him then move oh, him just just get low safely <laughs> get low safely. Just throw a GoPro on the ground and let him walk over it. No, I would get the R5. I would get a 100 to 400, get the adapter, which gives you the neutral density, and then a clear filter so that way you can do video and stills if you're in sunny conditions, and then rent that 7.1 and see if it's all it's cracked up to be. I wouldn't buy it out, out of the gate. I would just see what you think by renting it. And I think, you know, like I mentioned earlier, Lens Rentals is pretty darn good, and I think if you called them up tomorrow and just said, as soon as you get one, I want the first one and the first rental experience with it, if you did it now, I think you'd probably be have pretty good chances that you could get it, and it's not going to cost you that much, you know, $10, $15, $20 a day to try it out and then try that. Cool. Jason, I'll make you've some had... Calls. You've had experience, Jason, with the uh, Sony system as well, and with that 200 to 600 that you know has a max aperture of what six three on the long end. Yeah. And what have you, what have your thoughts been with that? You know, it's interesting. I've been actually really lately struggling with one of the big things for me on those on those types of lenses that I've noticed. Even on my two to five hundred, I notice this sometimes. I'm not as bad as on the Sony, but for me, the appearance of the bokeh is a big deal too. And when I've been shooting with these zoom lenses, I've noticed the appearance of the bokeh is dramatically different. So unless you can get a lot of separation, even at 6.3 or, you know, 5.6 on that 200, 2 to 500, if, or 2 to 600, if I'm down at the 2 to 300 range, um, the, the appearance of the bokeh is significantly different than it is with a prime lens. And so that's a trade-off, right? I get that. But for me, I've noticed it enough in some of my images that I've been thinking a lot lately, like, man, I, sh- man, I, I really wish I was shooting with a primer with my Nikon um, because just it was enough of an issue for me that it just bugged me. So yeah, I've, I've been thinking a lot. I'm, I'm in Neverland here. I'm over here. I've got this Sony. I'm liking it. There's some things about it. I don't like um, this Canon comes out. I'm waiting for Nikon to do what the heck they're going to do. They are making some pretty, I mean, they're supposed to be making a pretty good move here pretty soon from everything I'm hearing. Um, they've got some pretty neat stuff coming from what I understand. But it's not going to be out, like to, like Mark said, until next year at the earliest. Um, and so, you know, what do you do? And I don't know if it's, I have a hard time with chasing the, chasing the uh, I don't know what you want to call it, just chasing the technology down. Technology, yeah. yeah I just, 
I don't know. I just I'm really good with my Nikon, but one of the things that does bug me on my Nikon, I love the fact on the Nikon the D850, right, Mark, because it does it too, where if you switch from stills to video, it remembers your settings in both, and that's yeah. great. But the it's almost impossible, in my opinion, for me <laughs> to get any good video with my D850 just because of the tracking issues and stuff like that, and then the focusing issues. Um, and I don't want to call them focusing issues, but being able to keep it in focus when I'm trying to do video. And on the Sony, it has that tracking feature, and it's it's amazing. It is a game changer. So uh, there's a lot of things I'm hearing from <laughs> what Mike's sharing with this. It's really making me think hard about, you know, maybe uh, trying to get on that list and see if I can't play with this Canon a little bit and and uh, see what it can do. But to me, the more I think about it, and and this RF glass, I've heard a lot about it about it too, but I just can't imagine that it. <laughs> I can't imagine that seven one or six three that it, the appearance of the bokeh would be much different. So I don't know, just some some other things to think about. It's it's frustrating. I don't know what to do. <laughs> yeah, I can't go out without my two to four. I just won't do it. I just yeah. you know I shot that one to four when I went out with the bears just because I was limited on space and weight for carrying it, and I was happy with what I got for sure, um, and that gets you in the game. But I just, I'm like you, Jason. I mean, it's not, it's still a zoom. And it's like the best zoom for video because two to four is a pretty good range. You get the one four built in. But I think you still get that prime lens appearance because you're still dealing with an F4 lens that is native F4 throughout. And it just gives you the look that you're trying to get. Yeah. It's funny because I was actually arguing with Mike about that. Not arguing, but... Going back and forth, like, I don't think it's that big a deal. But it's funny, the more I've shot with it, it's like, eh, <laughs> all right, this is the rookie over here. Maybe, maybe it's a bigger deal than I thought. You know, I'm learning, so. <laughs> yeah, it's a big deal. I, you know, I have the the Sony 1 to 4. I don't have the Sony 2 to 6 because I've heard all those issues with it where it's like, eh. Yeah. And it's the same thing as the Canon 1 to 4. It's okay, but it's still just not, you know, it's all in your personal preference. It's all in your look. It's all in your... You know, people know you for what you do. And as long as yeah. you what you do works, then do that. You know, and all you guys are shooting the two to five a lot. And it must work because you all get awesome stuff. So Yeah, it's hard to argue. That's a pretty stinking good lens. That two to five hundred Nikon really hit it out of the park with yeah. that lens. But I, I yeah. I think we as consumers are thinking they hit it out of the park. I think them as <laughs> Mar- marketers are thinking man we screwed the pooch yeah no joke we did this too good but that's a that's a thing i wonder about with some of these other companies is if nikon can do it with the 200 to 500 and the 500 pf which is a super compact prime that is getting phenomenal image quality out of it why can canon and sony not do the same or is it just because of the marketing issue and they're more concerned about the buck I don't, I don't know, but I will say, you know, after asking you guys, I, I will confess that I have one on pre-order. <laughs> Which one? What do you have on pre-order? The R5? The R5, yeah. So, and I have a used 200 to 400 that I've. Well, kind of that's what I was going to say that 200 to 400, you can pick them up for like six or 7,000 bucks. Yeah. Which is a lot, but. New, found they one, were found a lot one more. for thirty two hundred dollars, but I'm pretty sure that as soon as somebody runs that serial number, we're going to find out that it was borrowed and not returned. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I'll, but, I'll, yeah not I'll, buying I'll, that one. I'll tell you what, I, I was talking to Harden about this, and I think, honestly, you know, they're for a minute, right? Canon's prices points on a, a lot of their stuff, their big lenses, everything, the value is just dropping through the floor. And so many Canon guys were jumping ship and going to Sony or whatever they were doing. And I really think this, this R5 is going to completely change that. I think if you think you're going to get a Canon lens for a good price, you better get on it now because I think a lot of people in the next few months are going to be, you know, really thinking hard about doing that. And I think the values of some of those bigger primes that are going to start climbing back up, but that's just my opinion. But So there's a guy up here that I'm shooting with. Um, we've had him on the podcast before, Moose Man. So him and his wife were both shooting. They Last year they both shot Nikon. This year, one shooting Nikon, one shooting Sony. But he's using that new 500. Mm-hmm. And he says, I haven't seen any images, but he says it's like amazing. But he says it's a little finicky. You know, you got to kind of get, you got to do a dance with it. You just got to get in the groove with it to make it really work. And I think we can all do it, right? It's just a rhythm. You just figure out a lens, you figure out what you need to do, you figure out how it operates, you just, you get it. You maybe not get it right out of the box. It might take you a week or two and shooting a bunch of different things, but he's got it. She, on the other hand, had the same thing, and she didn't like it. She went back to Sony. So that I've heard nothing but good things that it's good quality, but it's figuring it out. But you look at the size of that sucker, it is, it's smaller than your guys' 2 to 5. Yeah. By a lot. Weighs a lot less. But it's typical Nikon, just the build quality is just awesome. It just, it has that classy appearance. I mean... Aesthetically, it's awesome looking lens, and then I guess the performance is pretty amazing as well. Once you get it figured out, so I mean, there's some cool things there. And he's using the, I don't know, is the newest one the Z7 Nikon? Yeah, yeah. for now. Yep. And he just bought one the other day, a Z7. So I I don't know how much he's used it, but. I've, oftentimes I look over at him if we're having to be shooting the same bull somewhere, and he's most of the times using a, like a 24 to 105. I mean, he's just mostly in that wide angle area. And uh, but you know, they're shooting together, and she's got the long lens stuff with the Sony, and he's shooting the wide angle stuff. And if they're shooting together and you're around them, you always hear them. Are you shooting video or stills? And then the other one just does whatever the other one doesn't. And if they're shooting stills, both of them. Are you shooting wide and I'm shooting tight? Or, you know, they just got a pretty good little rhythm going where they they get all their bases covered in a, you know, good way. So, but it's same family. One shoots Nikon, one shoots Sony, and they just make it work. And it's whatever the, it's their personal preference. And she had all the Nikon stuff and she sold it all and went and bought Sony. So, I don't, I don't think there's a right or a wrong. I think I jumped on this camera after hearing all the, the Hubble Blue, and I had all the Canon glass, so I'm like, okay, let's give it a shot. It's not that... I asked today when I ordered that other R5, I said, well, just for grins, what's the cost of a 1DX Mark III? And they're 6600 bucks. You can get this one for, I don't know. So the kit, the R5 kit with, with a 24 to 105 F4 is forty nine ninety nine or something like that. And I think it's eleven hundred dollars cheaper with just the body. So what is that? Forty nine. So thirty eight hundred bucks. 
that's almost half of the 1DX Mark III. And the 1DX Mark III, you're just pushing 22 megapixels? I don't even know. What is it? 24, 25, 20, something. 20, 22 megapixels, and it weighs about two and a half R5s, I think. It's a tank, yeah. <laughs> exactly. And then I've watched, you know, I told you guys, I've been watching a lot of these videos. One guy did a comparison with the R5 and the R6. We haven't even talked about the R6, and I don't know much about it other than the videos that I've watched, but the guy said, and whether he's right or wrong, I'm sure he's right, and I don't think you can put stuff out there that's that blatant of a comparison without being right, but he said that R6 has the same sensor as the 1DX Mark III. Oh, really? The exact same sensor in it. So it's only the 22 megapixel sensor, but it's... That's what you're going to get in Canon's pro flagship body. Yeah, I think the way they did that is pretty nice because you can have the smaller sensor or the not smaller sensor, the lower resolution sensor. If you're a wildlife guy that likes to catch a little astrophotography, you know, you're in Alaska, catch the northern lights or, or catch uh, the Milky Way in the summertime when you're not shooting wildlife, that kind of thing. I think that that would be a better sensor for for that type of photography plus it doesn't heat up as fast um i think the two of them complement each other quite well and they both do video they both shoot really fast frame rates and the thing that we haven't talked about is the the processor in that camera is the same one that's in the 1dx mark iii also the digic x or digic 10 whichever way you want to call it processor and the digit six which i think mike is in the 1dx mark ii i think it has two of them yeah dual sensor it. yeah dupe dual yep. pixel technology or whatever they call it yeah so the digit x is three times as fast as the digit six which was in their flagship just one generation ago and now they're putting it in these mirrorless bodies and it's just a smoking fast processing rate and you'd have to to have 8k in a camera um you'd have to have a fast processor and and that puppy is so there's a lot of advantages to this camera and and what we talked about was not a technical review but it was definitely a field review from a guy that's been shooting a long time and has shot a lot of different systems and high quality systems so i'm i'm encouraged actually because i was i was starting to be on the fence with some of the stuff that i was seeing but then had to take it with a grain of salt because it was coming from guys that were studio and wedding and kind of long format videographers or vloggers. And you kept saying it. It's not really what we do. But I was kind of anxious to see if you run into any of those issues. So happy to hear that you haven't. The two things that I had on my list that we haven't talked about is, so there's two different kind of cards in the R5. There's a CF Express card, which is very similar to, I think, what Nikon has, that littler card. XQD. Yeah, XQD. Yeah, XQD. In fact, yeah. And then there's, I don't even know, it's the SD. UHX2. You know, a lot of times if you're not paying attention and you're pulling a card out to download, it'll automatically switch to the next card, right? So then if you put the card back in and go out the next morning and you're shooting, a lot of times I'm on the slower card 
without paying attention. You just, you know, you come up on something, you start shooting, and I'm like, why am I filling up this cache? Why is it not, why can't I just shoot? I've had that happen a couple of times where I'm like filling up the cache, and it's just like, it's pretty fast, but I'm still like not getting as many shots. And then if I switch it over to the CF Express, it's been fine. I haven't run into a problem with that. And then I bought a 128 CF Express, and then I bought a one terabyte CF Express. The 128 I don't like. It's I don't know. It's just not working. The the one terabyte has been okay, and I think it's just quality of card. So if you're gonna buy a card, just get the better quality or the. I would do a look, search on the internet and just see what is performing out there. I mean, I've heard that ProGrade's pretty good. SanDisk, of course, is good. Lexar. The two that I got are some obscure. I got a Delkin one terabyte, and I got a Hoodman 128. And the Hoodman didn't. I wasn't that happy. I've only used it once, and it it was not. It, I didn't feel like it was keeping up as quickly as the other one. But I had to get it because I couldn't get a hold of another one right away. Hoodman's like when their SD cards are known for good, you know, super durability. high quality, yeah. durability, lifetime guarantee, blah blah blah. Yeah. Well, I should try it more because as soon as I got the one terabyte, I haven't taken that card out. But um, I will since I get a second body, I'll have that in there and i'll try it out and give a report on that the other thing that this camera doesn't have that i love i absolutely love about the red and we've talked about it a million times is there's no pre pre-record so you can't just sit there and you know like when these these if you're shooting a bull can't that's laying your down thumbs anymore i know you gotta be johnny on the spot <laughs> and be figuring stuff out because you can't just let the camera do it for you which that would be super cool, but there's absolutely no way they could do it. I mean, if it's going to generate heat, then it's going to generate that heat the whole time it's in that pre-record because it's still recording. If you use if you use uh, Atomos external, yeah, you do have it. Then you could do it. Good point. Yeah. But you don't want to be packing all that crap around in the woods. No, you don't. <laughs> And have it all hanging off your camera when you're trying to carry then, it to the next. Then you might as well just carry the red. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. I just, there is no perfect system for what we do. There's a yeah. lot of really super close things, but I don't think there's any perfect. But right now, my thought process is the, the autofocus is the game changer. If I don't have to constantly worry about focus... I can spend more time with composition. I can be a lot faster. And I just feel, you know, if you get 8K out of focus, what good is that? I mean, you might as well yeah. look at wallpaper. It's just horrible. So focus to me is probably, for what we do, the most important. Mm -hmm. So I, that's why I'm kind of leaning on this R5. Is It's the game changer for the video, for wildlife stuff. And if it's doing... The high quality stuff that could appear in as B-roll in a documentary or something like that, or what we're doing with YouTube, it's game over. You got it. You're done. Wait, what were you going to say about the menus? You were getting, getting ready to say some stuff about the menus? It's pretty easy to use. There's just, like I said earlier, there's just, you know, it took me, like Jerry and I took us half an hour to figure out that one. Of course, we didn't have the uh -huh. book. But a lot of times you're looking through the book and it'll say PDF. So you actually need to go download the PDF, which actually has more information <laughs> in it, you know, 
and the book is this thick. Of course, it's got, I think, Spanish and French and English all in that one book. So, um, I don't know. I've, I've always, I've never been the book guy. I've always been, oh, I'll figure it out. And you, eventually you figure it out. I was able to get C-Log out in the field just by messing around with the menu. So, it's pretty user-friendly. I've not had a problem with it at all. But I've used Canon my whole, most of my career, so I'm pretty familiar with the Canon. You know, yellow is where you go to format, and red is where you're going to set your resolution, or you know, RAW or JPEG or whatever. So you just know the different colors represent what you're trying to accomplish, and then you just go there really quickly and get it. This camera does have Wi-Fi and Bluetooth. I haven't used it. It has GPS. I haven't used that. All that stuff's off. But it could be pretty helpful if you're... GPS could be kind of cool, but I've also heard that it's super... Uh, drains the batteries. Yeah, the GPS it's, it's is running all always, the time. Always running. Even when it's in the yeah. camera off, GPS is still on. Well, I was going to say with Bluetooth, not if the camera's off, but if your camera's on, Bluetooth's going to keep it running and searching and talking back and forth between devices all the time as well. The uh, the guy told one guy told me if you're going to do GPS, just take the battery out. If when you're not using it. So, like, overnight, just take the battery out of your camera. Oh. That way it won't drain it. Yeah. First thing I've done in every camera that I've gotten since GPS was a part of it is turn that sucker off. I don't, yep. I don't want anybody knowing where I go. If I, want, if I want them to know, I'll tell them. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want it in the metadata. Yeah. <laughs> so, can we, give, can we give you an assignment? Sure. <laughs> We, um, I think you might be impressed with the with the tracking features and that on the stills if you're um, doing like birds in flight and some stuff like that. Have you had a chance to do much of that yet? Because I think that'd be curious to hear what you had to think about that. But yeah, there was a there was a northern harrier family up here where I shoot moose, and there were for a couple of weeks they were everywhere. Now I can't find them, but I was they were flying close. I was like, oh, that would have been perfect. And then I was down on the river where we shoot bears a lot, and there's a lot of gulls. And I thought, well, you know, I don't really want a gull picture, but it would be a good test. And I just haven't done it yet, so I'll, I will get out there and try some, some of that stuff, and just see. That's a, I'll great, try it with the planes too. The gulls would be a great dynamic range test too with the white, white yeah. bird. I did shoot a couple ravens. Would be cool too if I could get some ravens going because that's all black too. And yep. Yeah, I'll, I'll try to get out there, and it's hard to get away from these dang moose. <laughs> yeah, we've noticed. So for our listeners, we've been trying to do this podcast for three weeks. <laughs> we can't get Michael out of the mountains. But in hindsight, I'm happy that we waited because you've you've been able to work with that camera quite a lot more. Yeah, I've forced myself just to use it and that only, and you you learn it really fast once you – you know, every day it's like, oh, that does that, or oh, I figured that out, or oh, that's gonna work better if I do it this way. But I'm super, super impressed with the video. Mm. So if you guys get it, we'll just hop on and do a really quick like set this setting, this setting, and this setting, and you'll be out of the gate way faster than. That'd be I a great was. podcast or part of a podcast. What we get? Yeah, or and there you go. short or whatever. Yep, for yeah. sure. So Mark's ordering his tomorrow, and I've got a little I'm more thinking to do. <laughs> so the problem, that if you guys had Canon Glass, I think it'd be a no-brainer. 
right? Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. It would just be that. Yeah, but the two to the two to four, I don't think you can go wrong with that. That's the best zoom lens out there, in my opinion. But yeah, Canon or Nikon, they're both awesome, but they're expensive. You know, brand new, they're what twelve thousand bucks. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Mark, do you have the two to four hundred Nikon? No, I sold it uh, probably about eight eight months after I got the two to five. Oh, the original version, not the newer one eighty four hundred or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, one. I no, I didn't jump on that price tag. No, yeah, the two yeah. to four, <laughs> I I liked it very much, but the two to five, um, if I remember correctly, had at least one, if not uh, at least one extra element of ex ed glass. And I found the contrast personally. I found the contrast to be better in the two to five than the two to four. Okay. And so, because of all the other advantages, um, I sold it for more than what the two to five cost. Right? Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. So that's that's switched back then. But yeah, there's a lot to think about to check on availability and then map it out from there and and see timing and availability. For video, the two to four with the one four is pretty awesome, just because you got five forty all the way to two hundred. See, that might be the ticket. And then you can just constantly adjust whatever you need to. You mm -hmm. know, you can get all those different ranges pretty quickly, and just one lens will do it with really pretty bokeh. Mm -hmm. Something to touch on about the bokeh. You guys are bang on accurate about what you're saying, but you know, as my forte is. is more about animal behaviorism and there's ways if if the animal's up against a willow shrub you know you're limited what you can do but yeah. there will be opportunities where there's separation on any any shoot where there'll be different opportunity yeah i'm saying opportunities again but create for images that have that softer background even with a higher f-stop as well but you can do more with with an f4 of course when you sure. are forced in those situations but it's something that you know our listeners can adjust keeping an eye on composition and background sometimes you can pivot 10 yards to your left or right and totally change the situation and clean that up and and make for a much better image if that's what you're looking for sure yep or drop yeah. to a knee yep or do or do the side the raycroft <laughs> side roll the side yeah yeah you have to be in the field with me to know what, what that's about. I, I was doing that before I, I got the battery grip on the R5. I had to do that, that, and it just is not comfortable for me, but the battery grip is a name, game changer too. You definitely want to get that if you're used to shooting vertical a lot. Well, and I just found myself, yeah, video, yeah, juice yeah. out in the field. Yeah, and I just am so used to the 1DX, which is all one piece, and you just, when you go vertical, all your controls are there, and so I think if you do that a lot, if you guys are just used to shooting vertical with those those controls, then just get the battery grip. Yeah, I had already looked at that. But just because of what I had seen on YouTube for reviews, it's just the extra juice for video. You know, if you end up out there for four or five hours, you'd, that's great to have that more more power in the in the body. Yeah, I didn't even know you. I didn't even know you could buy a camera without buying a battery grip. So. <laughs> <laughs> It's super yeah. small without it. It's kind of cool. It's, I mean, it fits in a pack pretty easily. And this this other one, I'm not going to get a battery battery grip right away. You know, it'll just be the wide angle. But It'll be on there at some point. Yeah, at some point. <laughs> That's <Yeah>. my wager. <laughs> All right. Does anybody have anything else? 
more and more going up on YouTube, people. You know, please check us out on YouTube and watch those videos. Or, and, and another thing is, if you enjoy the show and the varied content we're putting out there, uh, we invite you to show some love and please tell people about our podcast. You've been listening to the Wild and Exposed podcast. If you haven't yet, please give us a rating and a review. And make sure you're subscribed so that you'll get every episode we produce as soon as we drop it. And as always, thanks for tuning in. Gonna make it someday Nothing's gonna get in our way We will be the biggest band in town Mm -mm. Round and round the world we'll go